It is Locked on Jazz for the 12th of October. Jazz fall in preseason game to San Antonio. A tough start, but positives to take for it. For Walker Kessler, we learn the value of Mike Conley, and we see the learning curve of Colin Sexton, Lowry Markinen, and the rest. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. We're coming to you live on a rare live edition of the program. And today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Today's episode, the first time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepick.com, promo code locked on. How are you? Thanks so much for tuning in. To today's program, I am David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is your daily podcast of the Utah Jazz. Last night, the Jazz get run in a preseason game. No big deal um, because it's a preseason game, but I also thought it showed a lot of the issues that we have um, coming up in this ballgame uh, and that we're going to see this season and some of the ta- tasks um, at hand. It was a tough start. That first quarter was pretty ugly. Um, for the Jazz last night in a rough night. Uh, the Jazz allowing in the first quarter just alone, kind of that's what was kind of the numbers on what the Jazz allowed in the first quarter. Uh, the Jazz shot 10 of 25 for the field and 4 of 12 from 3. And the Spurs, on the other end, in that first quarter, just made their way, scored 39 points in the first quarter, hit 13 of 19 from the field, hit 11 of 13 from the free throw line as our aggressive defense led to just a, a litany of fouls in that first quarter. Three on Butler, three on Kessler, two on Sexton um, in, in that quarter. We really, I thought, saw the lack of Mike Conley and just the incredible value of, of what a veteran Mike Conley is to have him out on the floor uh, in last night's game. What, have, what I think would have made a, a, a massive impact uh, on the game. He just gets everyone together. He gets everyone in the right spot. He knows how to play the game correctly. And I think that would have, that would have jumped out in a lot of ways, um, to, to everyone involved there, I think is, is the way the game would have been played. We would have been structured better. Therefore, I think our transition defense would have been better. Therefore, I think on a defensive end, we could have probably been a little bit more in tuned. Um, it was interesting. We were doing some interesting things. We were going under on a lot of picks last night because this was not a heavy three-point shooting team, we were going under on, on pick after pick and then trying to pick guys up and, and too often still got beat to the basket when we were going under on some pick and rolls. So um, that's not something that should be happening. It was, you know, hey, it was it was kind of a fun, it wasn't a great night, right? Like the, um, we got, to, we were down by a lot early um, and, you know, down 39-26 at the end of, at the end of one. And then the second quarter, I thought the Jazz did a lot of things a lot better. And one of the things I thought was most interesting is the Jazz had seven offensive rebounds. Jared Vanderbilt doing a huge work on that in the second quarter. And so while the offense really scuffled again, we went seven of 23 from the field and two of 11 from three with Jared Butler being the only one who made a three in the quarter. I did think that what we saw was, and only two assists, um, both those coming from Jordan Clarkson, 
uh, because a lot of our points came on second chance points in that second quarter. Um, we had 21 second chance points last night for the ball game, uh, which was nice. Uh, the the off what happened one is we really crashed. I mean, we crashed hard in that ball game. In that, and we had we got seven of the potential 16 rebounds as offensive rebounds in that second quarter. It also slowed down their transition. It slowed down that got it got them into a real half court set and allowed the Jazz to set their defense much better. And then the Spurs did still shoot 20 percent or excuse me, 50% from the field, but they only got three free throw attempts. And um, and we forced six turnovers, so you began to see the Jazz being able to have the defensive impact that they wanted to have um, on the game. The third quarter and the fourth quarter were, were much improved. That second quarter tenacity on the glass, I thought was, I, I really, that would be like a highlight to me of the night was the fact that the Jazz kind of changed the game by just pounding the glass and forcing the Spurs to really slow down in that way. Then what I loved about the third quarter is we began to see the ball pop a little bit more. The Jazz got seven assists in that third quarter after only having second in the or two in the second quarter. And, and Jordan's a large part of it. He had three assists in that um, quarter. The Spurs' def- offense still pretty good, 48% shooting, and they still were playing in most of their main guys. Then in the fourth quarter, the Spurs went to their... Their Austin Toros group, it was Isaiah Roby, Romeo Langford, Blake uh, Wesley, uh, Branham, uh, and then two of their two-way players getting most of the minutes, and def- they slowed down. They suddenly, and that, that's not probably fair to say it's the Austin Toros group because Roby will be in, on their roster, Langford will be on their rosters, and we and Wesley will is a first-round pick, and Branham maybe as well. Um, they just probably are not rotation players. So they went to their third tier non-rotation players and then their offense really fell apart. And then we got rolling. And then it was fun to watch. Rudy Gay doing a great job in the glass and initiating the offense, played all 12 minutes. We actually played same five guys all 12 minutes in that fourth quarter. And Walker Kessler had nine points, four rebounds. Jared Butler was terrific. He had three points, five rebounds and six assists despite shooting just one of five. Rudy Gay had seven rebounds. Foncecchio hit... Um, two threes and had eight points. Taylor Horton Tucker played with a lot of aggressiveness and strength in that period of time. Um, and it was, you know, the Spurs played um, Branham 12 minutes. They played Langford 950. They played Hall, who's a two-way player, 830. They played Wieskamp 850, who's going to maybe make the team, maybe not. Barlow played seven minutes, who's a two-way player. So it was mostly against the Spurs kind of second unit in that sense. Um, or third unit, and it was kind of our still primary rotation guys, but they played really, really, really well. So that, that's kind of my summary of last night. I thought the, the lack of Mike Conley was, was super prevalent um, and obvious in some ways in that game uh, as much as anything else on things. Chat room is open, and we are live today, so uh, feel free to put your comments in their leases. I think we lack a lot of defense, and we did a better job in the fourth quarter, but I wish we could have some more chemistry. Um, it's going to be awfully hard for this team to have chemistry here in the early going um, with how, un, you know, one of my favorite plays of the game was I think Sexton hits a three and then it's just subtle. And then as he's running back the other way, um, the uh, Sexton's running back the other way. And then I, he hits the three and as he starts running back the other way, he ran into Jordan Clarkson. I think it was Sexton. And it was just kind of a funny little moment that these guys have played so little together. That's actually something where you kind of know what, like Sexton was holding his pose, not backpedaling, and Clarkson's running back and he knocks him over. And um, and I, it was just kind of a, it was a funny moment to me because I thought it was somewhat symbolic of of 
just how little these guys have all played together. Um, I thought we saw last night out of Colin Sexton, who has just... This is a really good kind of interesting piece to, I think, a little bit of where the Jazz are and a lot of their players are. We talked about this on yesterday's edition of Locked on Jazz, which is they're all trying to add this layer, right? They're all really, really good. They all come with really good accolades. They're all bona fide NBA players, and they're all trying to take this one next step on what they can be and who they can be to be an even better player. And, and Will Hardy has said this about Sexton for the very first second of the season, and that is that he needs to be this guy who can learn how to use his... So Sexton has this amazing burst. He can beat just about anybody off the dribble. He can get by and into the lane at will. You saw it last night a bunch of times. It's fabulous. He he draws a ton of free throws using the 92nd percentile of getting the line of, of guards the last time he played a full season. So he's got this like list of skills that's awesome. He's yet to learn how to use that burst in a way to make his teammates better. Sexton had one assist last night. It was on an inbound pass. So Sexton had zero assists last night off the dribble in any way. So overall for the night, Colin Sexton last night plays 21 minutes. His single assist is on an inbound pass to a cutter. So he doesn't... Now, you know, Jordan's developed, got seven of them. Uh, Jared Butler had seven assists last night in 27 minutes, playing different guys. But that's a good example of what we're going to kind of probably be talking about a lot of the year, which is, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, what's the the development that we're trying to make out of guys where they are adding this layer onto their game? And the layer for Sexton is how do you play with that burst and that speed and make guys better? And that's where Mike Conley, losing, not having Mike Conley last night made it really really obvious, and that's why the offense, I think, struggled. But it's also where, you know, we're going to see Colin develop that. And, and these are little steps. These do not, none of these things that we're, we talked about on yesterday's show that we're talking about here, they happen overnight. None of them. They're all developmental pieces of puzzles um, that happen kind of in, in little, little bits. I thought we saw the same thing out of Lowry Markinen, who is probably, you know, could be arguably our best player. And Markinen does not have a game that naturally takes over and does not naturally, I think, have a total feel on how he's asserting himself on the game. So in the open 644 the other night, he goes one of three, misses his two threes that are there, and he's not massively impactful. How does he find a way to be more impactful? In the third quarter, he comes out, he's four of seven from the field, he only takes two threes, he's much more aggressive, he has three rebounds, he scores 11 points, and he's really impactful. Like, that's actually a little tiny step there, I think. And when, when he looks at this roster, he suddenly has to realize, like, oh, wait a sec, if I'm, if I'm starting and I'm, you know, I've got to be really, really impactful and aggressive on the offensive end, back to the way he was when we talked about it uh, if his second year when the Bulls, but other than Zach Levine, he was their second option. Other than Jordan Clarkson, he's our second offensive option if that's the starting lineup we go with. And so, therefore, you really, he really has to be massively impactful on the game. That's not a natural step for Lowry Markinen yet. And we're seeing, we saw that develop last night, first quarter versus third quarter. These are the little steps. It's kind of awesome to watch and see um, take place for this basketball team uh, this year. The other step I thought we saw last night was a big one from Walker Kessler because what the opening five minutes of the night was just brutal. And then he worked through that. So we'll talk about that um, as we continue. Today's Wednesday edition of Locked on Jazz is brought to you by our friends over at uh, Intercap Lending. And that's Steve Carter. And Steve Carter just brings a f- smile 
to my face. Because when I get to recommend Steve Carter, it means somebody is going to have a great experience. The reviews on Steve Carter time and time again are just so truly terrific. It's one after another. Please, customer, it's people inside our company. It's people everywhere else. Um, Intercap lending is hyper-responsive. They break change and they have borrow experience. And those are all phrases But here's what it is. It's Steve Carter. It really is. It's our own personal loan officer at Intercap who gives you, who takes care of you every step of the way and is just truly a remarkable person that he's that committed to making sure everybody has a good experience. If you go back, uh, Clayton and Sarah Winslow review. Steve Carter did a fantastic job with the refinance. The process was seamless and very quick. We reached out with a time crunch and he really made it happen. Intercap and Steve is by far the best mortgage company we've dealt with and will recommend it to anyone. Brad Hickman. Intercap has been the best experience I've ever had refinancing home loans. Steve Carter gave detailed options, custom to my own situation. The loan process was made easy by the experience, knowledge, timeless, personable nature of Steve and other members at Intercap Lending. If you're looking for mortgage options, give them a call. You won't be disappointed. So do that. Give Steve Carter a call. His number's 385-885-28. That's 385-885-28. Make sure that you mention Locked On and get the corporate discount. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. Visit intercaplending.com. If that was all too much for you and it seems like it came way too fast and you weren't sure, then email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. That's dlock09 at gmail.com. And I'll get you taken care of. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks, where you can pick two to five players, and if they go, if they score more or less than the Prize Picks production, you can win up to ten times your money on every entry. No competing against other people; it's just you versus projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport you can watch: NBA, MLB, ML, NFL, NHL, PGA. They're all going on right now. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals. It's operational in 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app and go to prizepix.com and sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's a $100 instant uh, promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, you get $100. Deposit $50, you get $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match of $100. That's all at Prize Picks. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day, your second listen, the NBA Big Board. The group, Rafael Barlow leading the way, traveling the world with Sam and Richard and Leaf, all doing great work on all of that. Thanks so much to those of you who are joining the live stream. We've got a bunch of people on it. Dan wants to know what strategy should the Jazz use to rebuild? We clearly need to find a superstar. If we ever want to be a championship star, how do we get one? Well, I think the, you know there's three ways you can get one, Dan. One is through free agency. That seems like an unlikely route for us. The other is through trade. But if he's truly a superstar, it's awfully hard to go get it. So you have to find a circumstance like Houston did when James Harden became available in Oklahoma City and see the projection for him. And the third way is through the draft. And I think you know we're heading probably in that direction. And the way to do it, is the old school process that Philadelphia did where they just bottomed out and then they had a bunch of draft picks. We've now modernized the process a little bit. Houston, Oklahoma City have modernized the process and now Ainge, I think, has taken it to the next step. And what I mean by modernizing the process is, so what Oklahoma City did is they suddenly traded Russ and traded Paul George and traded pieces and got a million draft picks. And so what you, and Houston did the same thing with Harden. So what you actually have is you're bottoming out 
in a period of time, and, and this is where Oklahoma City and Houston now have all these picks. Here's what Danny Ainge has done that's a little different on this. So we bought him out here a little bit for a few years and get a shot at some draft picks to try to get the superstar you're talking about, Dan. So let's say, let's, I mean, I'm, I don't know this is our plan, but let's just go with this. That we bought him out here in the 23, so the 23 draft, the 24 draft, and the 25 draft. Our next three years, we get top 10 picks every year. Well, then we start to work our way up, right? We've got these three pieces. We've got some puzzles. Maybe Lowry's developed, Collins developed, Walker's developed, Ochai's have developed, um, Leandro Balmero's developed a shot, like Simone Foncecchio's a good play. Like these pieces we have right now all pieced together a little bit. And we start our upward rise in 26, 27, 28. We're working our way. We're really getting better. Well, all of a sudden, now our draft picks that we got from Minnesota and Cleveland start to kick in. Right? So Cleveland, we have the 25, 27, and 29, if I'm right. And Minnesota, we have 23, 25, 27, and 29. And we have some pick swaps in there, too. So maybe Minnesota by, is going to... Minnesota, I think, is going to be the number one seed in the West this year. So that pick's going to turn out to not be that great. Cleveland's going to... I haven't run the numbers on them yet to see where I think they're going to be. And we don't have their 23. We have their 25. But Donovan leaves in 25, and who knows what happens. And suddenly Cleveland's not a free agent market. So their 27 and 29 picks maybe turn out to be really top 10, top 15 picks. Maybe Minnesota by 27, 29, you know, Rudy's 34, he slowed down, Cat this, whatever, who knows, Anthony Edwards left, 27, 29 become real picks. So we're on this upward trajectory and now we're getting this bounce from the bottom of top 10 talent when you're a good team. You can't, when you're, if you're the Jazz, like this is what we ran into with the Donovan and Rudy era, you start winning 50 games and your draft pick becomes the 23rd pick of the draft You know, it's really hard to get talent. We missed on one or two players, certainly, but it's really, really hard to get talent. And so maybe we're going to be able to not only have, as we get up to 40, 45, 50 wins, now all of a sudden maybe Cleveland's not good and we get this bounce from the bottom of a top 10 pick from Cleveland or we get a bounce from a Minnesota top 10 pick. Um, And that's that's the way it's going to happen. It's going to be an interesting, you know, process. I was talking to a fan last night in the Toyota Club and I said, hey, you just got to take your mindset from a, 19, a nine-month process to a 36-month process. Like, we're, we're progressing through. And can Colin Sexton, as we talked about in this opening segment of the day, use this incredible burst and this amazing skill that he has to be able to now make teammates better? Because then he becomes a really, really good player. If he doesn't, he's still a super good player. He's just probably a sixth man who's coming off the bench to score. Like, that's, that's the way I would look at those... Um, those kind of things. Um, Ryan Terry wants to know any idea why we didn't see Stanley Johnson. Um, Rudy Gay got those minutes and, and, and played well last night. Um, so that's, you know, Rudy Gay's is, is ahead of Stanley Johnson in the depth chart right now. And then that's the question of does Rudy Gay stay on the roster and, or does Stanley Johnson stay on the roster? That's probably one of the roster decisions that has to be made by next Monday. So Walker Kessler last night started the night about as miserably as a rookie could start the night. Like that was about as bad as it gets. He came out in the first quarter of last night's game and Walker Kessler played one minute and 51 seconds and had three fouls. It was like, oh dear. He came out in the second quarter, he played four minutes and he picked up another foul. And I think he picked up the foul early and everything was going wrong. Like, there was a play in which somebody drove and Kessler came out. You could see him really being very careful to not foul and pick up his fifth foul in, like, six minutes. 
And then he doesn't foul. He does a good job. He alters the shot. He doesn't foul. But because he's being so, he actually kind of doesn't get back for the rebound. And there's an offensive rebound put back on the backside of it. It just was like, he just was swimming. First home game over Zet. Like, he's a kid. He's a rookie. This is like part of it. It's totally fine. But this is like, that's what was happening. What I loved about it is that he came back and played really well by the end of the night. He comes in, he plays 645 of the third quarter and begins to have an impact and he picks up his fifth foul. And so at that point, Walker's played like, he picks up his fifth foul of the night. I think he's played like five minutes, six minutes, and he has five fouls. And it just feels like, you know, this this thing is, it just feels brutal, right? Like, um, but he does the opposite. He kind of fights through it, stays engaged, works. So he picked up a foul at the 344 mark of the third quarter was his fifth foul. And I'll give Will Hardy a lot of credit. Like if you want like moments where you're going to wonder how Will Hardy's going to coach things, I thought we learned a little bit about Will Hardy's coaching here on Walker Kessler. Like, okay, fine. Like you just picked up, you know, you just picked up your fifth foul at the 344 mark. Of the, and I'm going to, I'm going to leave you out there. And, you know, what does Kessler promptly do? But he assists, he gets an offensive rebound, or he gets it in the post, and he kicks it out on the, like the two plays later to Clarkson for a three on a really beautiful pass out. And then he alters a beta jops shot and grabs his own rebound on the next possession. Then he blocks Doug McDermott's layup on the next possession. And now, like, the kid got going in the night. And I thought that was really a cool thing Um for him, he gets a dunk on a Clarkson assist with 114 left in the third quarter. And he played through the struggles and the problems and the youth um, that he hit last night. I thought we learned a little bit about him last night. You 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 don't know about these kids. You, you know, we know Walker Kessler's seven feet. We've seen that Walker Kessler has this really fabulous second jump into his game. Um, there's, there's all sorts of pieces of Walker Kessler that physically are really great. And the question's like, well, what is what is he? What's his mentality? What's where is he in that regard? I thought we got a big positive last night in regards to that and Walker Kessler um, and how he and how he battled um, last night. I also thought we got that out of Jared Butler. We'll touch on that as well and takes a few more of your questions um, and for the Jazz uh, for you on the live show as we continue on a live edition of Locked On Jazz for you. Hope you're enjoying it. We don't do this very often. We will do our regular Ask LOJ on Friday. Don't for, I'm not going to miss out on that, but I actually uh, just didn't get my schedule back right and was exhausted last night and didn't didn't kind of get into my regular my regular routine today. Um, so the show was delayed, so I thought we would do it live and, and hang out together a little bit um, uh, here on the program as, as we continue on Locked On Jazz. Um, so Jared Butler, I thought last night, um, did some really neat things and there, you know, there's some aspects where I'm on a, just on a personal note, like I've got to figure out how Jared Butler's most successful. I, I, I don't love no pass possessions. I'm a big, like no pass possessions to me. I would love to have the data. Amount of times you go down in a half-court set and don't throw a pass, what rate the other team scores. And I'll even take it another step. Like, at what rate does the other team start an 8-2 run because of it? You come down and you don't pass a possession. Your four other guys are not busting their ass back down in transition. It's just not happening. Um, And I think anytime you get guys to run the ball up and down the floor two or three times without touching... 
I think you're in a lot of trouble. Um, and it's kind of why I like what I see out of Will Hardy and these handoffs and these touches early, you know, in how you're playing. And I think that you're, you're getting guys engaged. You're playing five out. Everyone's touching. Everyone's playing. Like, that's to me, if you're going to get, like, I, I think team identity is an interesting thing here. Will Hardy said, hey, we got to build a team identity yesterday in the pregame press conference. And he said, and we got to start it on the defensive end. And and that's that's fine. If I actually think if you're going to build this team with a defensive end uh, or the defensive um, identity, I think you actually have to do it by having offensive touches because nobody's going to go out there maybe other than Jared Vanderbilt and play pure defense when they're not getting any offensive touches. I think what's what's going to be, you know, we have these players and they're all still going to establish themselves by what they're able to do offensively. Taylor Horton Tucker, Colin Sexton, Lowry Markin, and all these guys who are trying to develop and take the next step in their career, adding the layer we're talking about. That layer to them, when they're in contract negotiations, when they're getting the next contract, when they're getting the next conversation, when they're getting their accolades, are going to be based on scoring. So to build the team on team identity on defense, which is what Will Hardy wants to do, you're going to have to have some real sharing of the basketball on the offensive end so that everybody's engaged. So for me, when I watch Jared Butler, every time I see a one-pass possession, which he has a high allowance of for a point guard, it makes me cringe. I'm not like, it just makes me cringe. Donovan did it, it made me cringe. Um, And when Donovan would do it, then frankly, I thought Mike would follow with his one-pass possession, and then I thought Boyan would follow with his one-pass possession, where they would get it and then go to work. Like, I thought... The no-pass possession is often followed by a one-pass possession. What I mean by that is when someone goes no-pass possession once or twice, then the next time when one pass comes to someone, they, you know, then all of a sudden they're just going to work um, and because they didn't get the touch. And so I, I think that that's the one thing where Jared, I think, because he's so crazily skilled offensively, and he's got this incredible hesitation game, and he comes out the pick and roll and reads it pretty well. And he can get, he, he holds people and gets them off balance, and, and it has this great pacing that he's able to do to be able to go beat guys to the basket. And he's successful with it. He has a lot of one pass possessions. But last night, while there were those same one pass possessions that make me cringe, that's why I shared it, he did link out seven assists at the same time. Now, a ton of those come in that fourth quarter against the Spurs third kind of non-NBA unit, shall we call it. Um, he had six assists in, uh, in that period and went one of five shooting. I, I, I actually like the six assists and don't care about the one of five shooting, frankly. Um, if, you want it, if you want my opinion, my opinion doesn't really matter, but that's just, that's my viewpoint. But I thought that fourth quarter from Jared, he was really trying to play the game. He had five rebounds too, which was just outstanding. He had a good defensive steal. I think he even had a block shot. I really liked what I saw out of Jared in that in that fourth quarter. In the second quarter, he plays nine minutes and 40 seconds and doesn't have an assist. And so I thought he changed his game in the fourth quarter to try to, to move guys and get guys involved. I mean, you talk about trying to figure this team out. By the way, at halftime last night, if you look at our halftime box score, our, neither point guard had an assist. That, like... That is the chat. We, we talked about this in the very, very first day of camp when I said, like, to me, the challenge on this is getting, getting guys to, to pass. And it's really not, I simplified it on that. It's getting guys to learn how to use their skill set to make their teammates better. Jared Butler and Colin Sexton both are magical in being able to get by guys. But in that, in the first half the other night, Sexton played, 
9-22, had no assists. And Jared Butler, in the first half of the game, played 14-38. So the two of them combined for 24 minutes, and they actually had one assist. Jared Butler had a, it did have one assist in the first half of last night's game. He must have had it late in the first quarter. Um, and it was on a... Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. It was a nice skip pass to the corner for Horton Tucker to hit a three. Um, so we had one assist out of our point guard in 24 minutes to open the game last night. I, you know, that's where Mike Conley, we're now back at where we started the program. That's where missing Mike Conley um, was really obvious last night. Um, uh, Lee wants to know, if Lowry Market can do what he did in EuroLeague, what's the ceiling for this Jazz team? I mean, so if Lowry marketing can become what he was in EuroLeague, I think he moves into a top 100, top 75, top 50 player in the NBA. Um, and I think we, it's kind of what I talked about earlier in the show, you know, in Finland, he knows like, it's my show. That's my game. He takes it. He's the man. I thought we saw more of that in the third quarter than we did in the first quarter. He's got to figure out how this works. I talked to Colin yesterday about like, how do you guys know like whose role it is to do what and when right now? You know, I just don't think, you know, you know, I, I think there was a tug of war a little bit with the jazz on it last year. But it was clear, like, hey, Donovan's going to do his thing, and Bogey's getting his shots, and Mike was always working in between that. And so um, I think that, you know, that's been, um, I, I, you know, I think that's going to be really hard. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you should be able to look at your roster and be able to tell me at the end of the first quarter who's getting how many shots. Like, ideally on a basketball team, I call it the rightful order of the basketball universe. You should be able to do that. I, I don't know what that answer is for this team right now. That That's a tricky equation, and it makes for this team identity to be really, really difficult. This is a heck of a task for Will Hardy. We, we you know, he's a first-year head coach, and I said it yesterday, this will be the hardest job he has in all of his years as a coach um, as he tries to figure, as he tries to work this one. I mean, I think there's no question to be that this is the hardest job he'll ever have because he doesn't have the hat to hang on. But also th- this roster, he's trying to create an identity and there's an offensive burden to it that's on Sexton and on marketing and then they got to figure out how to play with each. I mean, it's this is super, super hard um, to do. And I think it's going to, you know, it's going to have some bumps in the road and we also have to give him some room. But I also think we're seeing signs of how he does it really, really well. Any specific reason from Alex why Ochai and Balmero didn't get any run last night? Um, I think, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Fonchecchio and Taylor Horton-Tucker, I think, have probably, I'm guessing, just from, have played better than Ochai has in camp so far, would be my guess, like from the coach's perspective. Um, if if Ochai had played better than them in camp so far, he'd be playing, right? Like, that's just intuitive. Um, and the same thing on Balmero is I think their feeling is that those same guys have, the, the, you know, right? They're, they're all playing the same positions. So what we have seen is that you have our four guards, which is, you know, Sexton, Clarkson, Conley, uh, Beasley, and we have our wings, which Market and starts at, and then we're kind of interplaying Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Taylor Horton-Tucker in those spots, and then Alexander-Walker didn't have a great first half last night, went 0 for 4, and then, and then just didn't, didn't seem in rhythm. And then Foncecchio got those minutes in the second half, so that's clearly the player who's played the next best. And then the next guys would probably be Ochai and Leo. And that's how, that's, I'm guessing, how they've played through camp. I mean, that's like, there wouldn't, if Balmero had outplayed Foncecchio, he would have gotten those minutes. They play similarly enough. I was hoping that we were going to see a little backup point guard from Balmero last night because I 
like have my man crush on him. Um, and at six, six, I think he's really intriguing, but Jared played really, really well in those minutes. So, um, totally understandable. Um, you know, we can all hope to watch our players, but the fact is that if you're, if you're one of these guys, you know, if you're the coaches, you're the guys who've played the best. Um, so I think that's it. Um, uh, sorry, I use the phrase Euro League for marketing. It was Euro Basket, and uh, someone has corrected me in the chat room. They are correct. Euro Basket is what took place this summer, and when he played for Finland, Euro League is with you know FC Barcelona and or not Football Club Barcelona, but with Barcelona. It's actually the same group owns them both. Um, if my if I'm correct, and you know, and Real Madrid and all of those kind of things. Um, so we'll see. We also saw the Jazz run a lot of post ups early last night, which I thought was was an interesting um, kind of twist to how we use our size uh, on that. All right, that uh, wraps us up. There was a question about whether Azabuke is going to cut get cut by Amanda. I, I don't know. There is an interesting thing with Azabuke just from a contractual standpoint that we have to, I believe, decide whether we're picking up his next option fairly soon. And I don't know the front office's thoughts on this, but there might be some um, argument that if you're not going to pick up his option, then why is he, what are, what are we doing? Now you have the rights to him and things. So I don't quite know how that plays. It, it, it complicates, let me just say it this way. The, the rookie, the next year option um, gets complicated, is complicates the matter for what you're doing um, with um, Azabuki. I do want to say that, Two things I think are super important about Dope. He seems to be in great spirits, which obviously he was not last year, not like because of the injury. I mean, what an incredible, like incredible, like mental task that he has to have. So he seems to be in like super great spirits. He is working hard to get back. He's worked really, really hard. And impressively, you know, he's always had a weight issue and he has, he looks great. He's kept himself in super good shape and has kept his weight down. He's been working really, really hard with one of our trainers, Barnett. Um, And so, I, I I just think there should be really positive vibes about Adoka Azabuke. Now, you know, that contractual thing is kind of the reality of the business. But as I, he, I feel like his story right now is bigger than the business. His story is about comeback, mental strength, fortitude, consistency, fight. And I think he gets like A pluses on all of those things right now. And it's worth worth giving him a shout out for that. All right, that is the live show today. Thanks so much. You guys, chat room was great. Appreciate it. I mean, we may do these a little hard. But getting that 7 a.m. show right now out right after game days is tough. I'm getting old and getting tired after games or something. All right, thanks, you guys. You're super. I appreciate you so much.